Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 35 of The Reclaimed Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How you doing, Jesse? Doing well, Jason. Good to see you today, and I'm glad we get to catch up and talk to one of your good friends and somebody you've worked with in ministry today. And so looking forward to that conversation and sharing that with everybody, because um, every once in a while, God puts somebody just in the right spot for just the right kind of work, and in Teresa's story, uh, that comes shining through, and and so glad that we get to share her and her story and uh, that journey with everybody today. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a topic that I think maybe at first glance might not feel like it pertains to you because it's a topic that talks about, you know, how do you end well? How do you end a church well? Uh, in what circumstances does the Lord sometimes call a church to end and not to just do some amazing turnaround? I think there's some really hard questions in there, but some really important ones. But I found that as we were talking, it really related to a lot, a ton of other things That's for in sure. the life of the church. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I immediately start to think, how am I doing as a leader at ending things well with with people or uh, with programs in the life of the church? And I think there's a lot to learn from Teresa's experience about that part of our job as well. How do we help people in things well and, and programs in well and, and all that kind of thing. So uh, really useful conversation. And um, for some of you, this will hit right close to home. Maybe you're one or two decisions or whatever away from kind of make or break time as a congregation. And so um, hopefully this would be encouraging, but also insightful and would just, it just kind of broaden your perspective. perspective yeah, and, navigate that. and I was totally encouraged by the conversation, even though, even though it seemed like it was gonna be a little bit of a downer topic, it really wasn't. Because it was all about, you know, part of it is about it, it, you know, that's Teresa, but also it's, it's the truth. It's that, um, God's church marches on and we all have our part to play and local churches have started and stopped for thousands of years. And it's just part of the cycle of things. And and I just think there's something really healthy about that perspective. Cause I know I get so wrapped up in the minutia of metrics. Are we, are we growing in all the, what's my dashboard look like? You know, how's our engagement? How's our, those are all important things, but sometimes it's easy to get so wrapped up in that, that you're kind of losing the, the big picture. Yeah. And, and kind of here, it just sorting out through to the, to the basic, what's the right thing to do here? What would yeah. God have us do here? Right. And uh, I think she was able to kind of sort through some through some of her own experiences and, and strengths that she brought to the table to a, a hard but good uh, answer for that congregation. So I uh, can't wait to share her with you. In the meantime, I uh, want to continue to uh, say thanks to our sponsor, Belay Solutions, and uh, they're a big help as they try to help churches navigate a changing world. And some of the solutions they provide uh, are, are kind of different ways of looking at tackling some of the, the same things we've been working on as a church for, uh, you know, decades trying to solve things, communication, admin is, you know, how do we take care of those kinds of tasks? And so, um, tell us Jason, a little bit of your experience and how people can reach out to Belay if they're interested. Well, pastors have such a different responsibility than they ever have before. You know, in this changing world, you have pastors having to really be molded in a little bit different way and different expectations about how they perform their jobs. And I think that's where Belay can really help out. You know, none of us, I don't say none of us, most of us didn't go to seminary to figure out how to be really good at administration. Um, You know, we went because we had a heart for God and a heart for people. And so sometimes, though, the expectation is or the need is, hey, pastor, we need you to do these things because we don't have anybody to kick it to. And then you find yourself spending time on things that that are not the highest on your list and not the whole reason you're a pastor to begin with. So uh, Belay has some administrative help. They have virtual assistants. They have bookkeepers. 
Uh, they also have web masters who can help. And these are all different services that Belay offers. If you want to find out more about how Belay can help your church, simply go to belaysolutions.com, B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com forward slash reclaim leader for the free download. And I uh, hope, who knows, maybe they can help you as well. Well, let's jump into it. This is our conversation with uh, Teresa Swenson, who is a, a friend of mine. She was associate pastor here with me at Tower Hill for a number of years, and uh, just really appreciate that and looking forward to all of you getting to know Teresa. All right, we are here with Teresa Swenson. Teresa is a really good friend of mine. She was a co-laborer with me uh, at Tower Hill Church, associate Amen. pastor, and she was also the head of staff when I got here because... <laughs> There was like an odd interim situation where she became the interim, <laughs> and that's a whole nother podcast. Um, but really, uh, her her gifts, um, I mean, super, just great with people, great at reading people. Uh, she's a systems thinker. She also has the gift of spreadsheets, which we've <laughs> <laughs> had a long time. But uh, you came to embrace. <laughs> I, I really did come to embrace it. Uh, that you no know, spreadsheets aren't from the devil. They, <laughs> there's some redeeming qualities. No, uh, I was counting on those spreadsheets when we make a big decision. Um, but Teresa, Teresa is a fine pastor, and recently uh, kind of transitioned to a new role. She uh, went to another church to help out. She's currently working at, with the, another church and is doing really great ministry uh, within our presbytery. And uh, Teresa came from the professional corporate world, yes. and uh, which is awesome, <laughs> and uh, is really has provided a, a ton of insight into the way we do things in churches. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm really happy today to have Teresa Swenson on the podcast. Delighted to be here. Awesome. So uh, I teed it up a little bit, but tell us kind of, Tell us a little bit about your story. You know, how did you, how did you leave the corporate world, come into being a pastor, and how has that led you to kind of what you're doing now? You know, I, I always worked in the church, and, and I never really saw that much distinction between ordained ministry and the ministry of the person in the pew. Um, and I was in a church that their slogan was, every member a minister. And I really believed in that. <laughs> and so, so I never thought, oh, I was putting off being ordained. I just thought, you know, the Lord called me to work in the corporate world, and, and I was first a follower of Jesus wherever I was. But I always worked in the church in many capacities, you know, teaching Sunday school, the, you know, the, the, the uh, pant- pastor search process, all you know, leading retreats, all of that. And then um, when I turned 55, my husband actually said to me, why don't you retire? And I said, what am I going to do if I retire? <laughs> and, <laughs> Does he know you at all? I mean, exactly. come on. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's exactly right. And he, he said, why don't you go to seminary? All you ever want to do is work in the church anyway. So why don't you go get some credentials to do it's what you man. love to do? <laughs> so that's what I did. I retired uh, from Prudential after 30 years um, on September 1st. September 5th, I started seminary. Oh my gosh. And three years later, I graduated and I came first um, to Tower Hill Church where I served before you and then with you. Uh, so I was here for eight years. And, um, and then I went to Morningstar, which is the church that we're talking about that, that I presided over their end. Yeah. It's, and you... You don't slow down. So, uh, <laughs> Teresa is uh, highly, highly productive, and that has really served you well, I think, um, because you're able to, you have a high capacity. You have a capacity to handle a lot happening at the same time, and definitely in our time here at Tower Hill, there was so much going on, um, and I really learned how to navigate those changes because of the teamwork that we had. And I feel like, how did you... I mean, you came in and, and you started changing things even before I got here. <laughs> I mean, really. And what what has helped you? Do you think it was your professional experience that helped you do that? Like, why wait around? Or 
It's so, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, my professional experience was managing people and projects. And so much of the work of the church is managing people and projects, is figuring out who the players are, who the stakeholders are, who the influencers are, you know, and engaging them in the process. And <laughs> the biggest challenge in corporate life as in church life is to get everybody working toward the same goal and keep them from working against each other, you know. Yeah. So, so I definitely drew on my corporate experience every day of my life here. But, you know, there, there was a, the time right before Jason came that um, I ended up being the only pastor in a church that had had three pastors before. Um, and there was a sense among the people that we, we can't do anything until the new pastor comes. And I had, I think because I was a person in the pew for so many years, I really have this profound conviction that if the people of God are here, the Spirit of God is here, and the Spirit of God will lead us to what we need to do next. And when the new guy comes, he can... If, if he's our guy, then he's going to embrace that the Spirit of God was at work among us, you know. And that, as you know, Jason, is exactly what happened. But to keep people from that paralysis, that if we don't have our designated leader, then we can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't work for me, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it's a really good word too to churches in transition as they're transitioning staff that uh, and especially the senior position to actually be a church that the kind of person you'd want to see come along and be excited about your church to get their attention and to have them be excited. I would rather see a church that's moving and doing and active and vital and uh, where the congregation is sort of rallying to fill the gap in the meantime and not just standing still. So it, it may be that it draws the right kind of person when you're willing to risk that in the in-between time too. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. So good job, Teresa. Way to lead <laughs> yeah. in the midst of the kind of the absence of leadership and stepping in to help shape that. And I think you said something else that I is so important. Even if someone like yourself doesn't end up ordained and on staff that we can learn a lot from the folks who love Jesus or following Jesus who are uh, working in different industries and bring yes. expertise and those kinds of things um, that frankly, guys like Jason and I, who've never worked in the private sector, truly, you know, in a career sense, maybe we miss some of that stuff. I think the, the church in nonprofit world kind of miss some of the key best practices out there about uh, organizations and management and all those things. And so Jason, we talk about it all the time. We didn't have a seminary class on HR right. management right. and right. project launch and implementation uh, it was like teach people, you know, from scripture and provide some care. And that was kind of our training. So Teresa, that's awesome. And Jason, I'm a little bit jealous that you've had access. to <laughs> Well, um, I mean, truly we, we, uh, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, when you work with somebody through kind of all of the excitement and challenges oh, and yeah. obstacles, and we had obstacles to the physical plant, we had, I mean, it just seemed like uh, there was another hill past the <laughs> next one. But after we climbed those together, it's sort of like... Uh, you know, you feel like, wow, we're, we're just bonded for life because yes. you go through that together. You're like in the trenches together. Sure. So Teresa had this crazy idea basically to retire again, which <laughs> lasted uh, about half a minute, right? <laughs> well, it lasted four days the first time if I counted right. <laughs> That's, so. true. That's, right. That's true. That's true. Right. Yeah. So, um, but then, you know, then an opportunity came up um, for you. And so maybe share a little bit about that opportunity and yes. kind of why you decided to go, go that route. So, um, I love churches with problems. <laughs> I think that's why Jason and I worked so well together here because, um, you know, big churches have, have their share, but small churches have their share too. And, and a lot are, are similar certainly, but, um, so Morningstar Church was a church plant, and it was planted 25 years ago in Bayville, New Jersey, um, which is a Ocean County 
shore community, but not a summer community. So it's it's a permanent, but at at the shore. Um, and so, you know, they planted the church with high hopes at the time, although I, I'm not sure that the demographic analysis was exactly as scientific as maybe it could have been or or could be now maybe that maybe that's um, maybe 25 years ago you didn't have the same tools but there was another presbyterian church 5 miles north of them and another presbyterian church 3 miles south of them so so that you know that alone um, makes it a little bit of a a questionable location but you know lots of passion lots of commitment and you know they started out with um, worshiping in the ministry center, in the firehouse, you know those kind of places that churches go. And they were growing. Uh, they were growing. And I think I think at their their largest, you know, they probably had 125 people worshiping. So they got weary of of worshiping in all these different places and wanted their own building. And uh, which was a, a very ambitious project, but you know they they had lots of hopes and dreams and faith, and um, I think I think what they didn't I I think they counted on a growth model that there were no indicators that that kind of growth was ever even possible in in the location that they were in, but. You know, they they believed that God had called them there, and 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 that and and they certainly ministered to many people over the years that they were there. But um, they built this building ten years ago, and then came the the great crash in two thousand and eight, and then um, Superstorm Sandy, which in our area was really devastating for areas near water, like they were. And, and so those were hits that they were not able to recover from. And their attendance started to dwindle. And, and of course, with that, the, the income started to dwindle. And so much of the life of the congregation was built, was, was connected to building this building. That, you know, unlike some congregations, you could say, okay, well, we'll just sell the building. And then, you know, yeah, and yeah. then we'll start meeting in the firehouse or meeting, <laughs> right, you know, right. they couldn't go in that direction. So because of what their history was, and I knew their history because I was there when they moved into the brand new building. So um, their pastor retired, their, their founding pastor retired um, after 23 years. And, and then they had about a year that they they didn't have anybody, had a different person um, preaching every Sunday. And they were really dwindling and really not knowing what they were going to do. So, so they called me um, and said, would you help us? <laughs> and I really felt that it was the right place for me to go, that I could really help them navigate some very hard decisions. So that's how I ended up there. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And um and so what was, I mean, your mindset going in, you know, so you're going into this church and their founding pastor had right. just left, just retired. And, you know, what's on your mind? You're coming in and you're like, okay, how do I start assessing where we are? I mean, what were some yes. of the steps that you did to kind of get a picture of what was going on? And you had some history with that church before. I, so I had some history. So that, that was key because I knew who the players were and who I needed to talk to. So that was my first thing was just to start to talk to the leaders in the church about where do you think things are? And, you know, do you, um, what's your assessment of what the viability is of the, of the congregation? And so that's where I began. And then, of course, I asked for all the financial data. And once I got my arms around the financial data, the short story was that they had $1 million in mortgage debt and had about 25 to 30 people in worship. Mm -hmm. So once I really understood that that was the situation, 
course, my first thought was, we're doomed. (laughs) 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 This is utterly hopeless. (laughs) But then, of course, after you take a deep breath and you say, okay, you know, what what are the options? What what Mm -hmm. can we do? Is, is there anything we can do that will be sustainable? And, and of course, a lot from, from the pastoral point of view was dealing with everyone's emotions and their disappointment Mm -hmm. that they had invested. I mean, the people were so faithful in investing their, their, time, their talent, their treasure, you know, their firstborn son, everything in this, in this work. And it didn't turn out the way they hoped it would. Can we, can we pause on that idea for a minute? Cause I think yeah. there's something really deep oh. and theological here going on that, that I, I don't know if I know the answer to uh, other than I know a lot of really faithful people and faithful churches that just simply don't work out or they don't grow. It, and I think sometimes it gets equated like if you are faithful, that will equal growth. But faithfulness, it's tricky, right? Because it's like oh, yes. are these people, I'm sure they prayed hard. Yes. And they, and and they, they worked were faithful hard to God and, and they, they gave money sacrificially. Right. <laughs> I mean, what do you have Very thoughts on hard. that? You know, well, my first once I I got the profound level of disappointment that the people had, I I began to talk to them in terms of can we think about growth in ways other than more people in the pew putting more money in the plate? Because that had been their definition of growth, and that's why they were so disappointed. Say, so can we start to think about growth in terms of growing in faith, hope, and love? Love for one another and love for the Lord. Because as you know, what grows cold, just like in a marriage under constant financial pressure, is the love grows cold. And that's what they were experiencing. So I said, can we think about that kind of growth and and not think that it's a failure because we didn't grow in this way, more people in the pew putting more money yeah. in the plate. That seemed to help when I used the failure word that really resonated with the people that mm. they felt that even their faith was a failure mm. because it didn't work. Well, that's so intense. I, I, you know, I think it's so easy for all churches. I mean, if you're a big church and you start to see a slide in giving and you have to let go of staff or shut down programs, there is this sense of failure and kind of that need to keep the, keep the lights on, keep the stuff going. And so it's so easy, big or small church wise to default back to how do we how do we increase the revenue? How do we increase the number of people in the pews so that we can continue to do things the way we think we should or something? And so I don't think it's just a small church problem No, when we are begin to experience decline in any way. I think that same crisis can happen. So I think that's super insightful to turn the mission of the church in a new direction away from trying to increase and in, in grow in, in, in the number of people and, and finances to increase in these other ways, to grow in faith and kind of get a new vision, a new direction other than pay for our building. Um, and because that creates a really weird dynamic when somebody new shows up at the church and somebody goes, you're here to help us accomplish our mission. You can help pay for our building. Right. <laughs> and they're like, and I'm out of here. Um, so, you know, but it's so easy uh, for all of us to fall into that mentality of somebody new comes or our growth we see as a way to accomplish this, this thing that is sort of this default mission that we would never maybe articulate. So good job naming it for them and, and naming some of that failure, that sense of failure and disappointment. And I think that it started to help them to see that they had been faithful and they, they were successful in the, in the sense of, doing ministry and they reached people that the other churches were not reaching and that all the people that have come through, it's not just who's sitting in the pew this Sunday morning, right? It's all the people that you have reached over these 25 years of ministry that, that that was not wasted because the church did not thrive. And that was the other thing to address that, that, 
in the Lord's economy, those investments are eternal. And the people that heard the word and went on from there, that that is not diminished because you're not able to meet the demands of a $1 million mortgage. Yeah. 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 That's very well put. But I'm sure, I'm sure in a lot of ways, you know, easier said than done to, yes. to explain that, but then to feel it, um, it is such a challenge. And, and I feel like, um, you know, you, we had talked a little bit and you were trying some things to help bring yes. some growth and to try some things out yes. and to, Hey, now's the time to experiment, <laughs> right? Let's, let's try some things. What, what are some of the things that you tried just to so, create a spark? So, you know, um, we looked at some of the things that might be turning people off that we're visiting, you know, so we took a hard look at the space. We took a, a look at the length of the service. We took a look at some things that were a little too esoteric. You know, they, they could sometimes have a 15 minute long um, prayer request time, which to a visitor, you know, could make them want to run screaming out the door, you know. <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff. And they were open. They were very open to to changing or any anything that was going to make it more welcoming to visitors. So we did a bunch of things like that. Um, what I was really trying to concentrate on was, can we get to a place, can, can we figure out a financial arrangement that would make this financially viable without simply depending on the donations of the people in the pew? So we did a pretty active campaign to, to find a renter. Because the space, it was, it was really actually a very nice new building that was, was only 10 years old. And so we did a mailing to all the churches in the area that were either meeting in a firehouse or not meeting in their own building with pictures of our building and, you know, um, offering that they could, they could worship there. You know, they, we were looking to get a nesting congregation. That's what we were hoping for. And the other prong, we thought it was a nine acre property. So we were also looking to maybe sell some of the property so that we could reduce the debt in that way. So was, we were working on a lot of fronts at once to try and make it a more welcoming place. Cause, cause a challenge for a small place is it can feel so much like a family right. that people that come and visit feel like I'm at somebody else's family reunion, you know? (laughs) So um, they were very willing to try anything, you know, to, to make it a a more open place. When, when you, when it got to the point where you realized it wasn't going to be sustainable. Right. I imagine there are some pastors out there who are asking that same question of their churches. What were some of the things that you were feeling in that process? You know, did you, cause I know you, you, you know, <laughs> you're super, one. you're super capable. You are someone who can turn around things. And when you got to a point where it's like, I don't think this is going to turn around. Did you struggle with that with, with your leadership or did you feel like everything that had happened had already kind of happened and I was there to help them make a decision or, or maybe both? You know, I, I always say that in, in life with the Lord, beginnings are humbling and endings are humbling. And we all like everything in between, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. when, when it's growing and thriving. But, but I have learned that in general in the church, we are better at starting things than at ending things. And I think we are reluctant to see how things that we allow to limp along, how they sap our energy, and, and how they actually are a deterrent to, to vibrant spiritual life. Um, and so I, I have this conviction that it's it's important to to listen to the lord and to hear when it is 
time to end things, even sometimes things that are very dear to your heart and, you know, but, but they just are not the right expression or the right con they're not in the right context or, you know, their, their time has passed, you know? So, so I think when I signed up to go there, I, I said to the search team the first day, I may be here to preside over the end, you know, and I'm okay with that if that's where the Lord leads us. But I knew that it would be humbling. And it is because, because we all do want to make things work. I mean, we want that, you know. Um, so, but I think I was so sure that it was the right decision for the people. And and I I was pretty sure that it had my name on it to to help them do it. Yeah. And so if that meant it was going to be humbling, and I did get some feedback from some some um people in the church, like you came here to ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so, you know, the, uh, as you know, with your in leadership, your like your motivations can be questioned and you can be misunderstood. But I always believe that the Lord will ultimately reveal everything and everyone for what they really are. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 So it sounds like, having had experiences ending things in the life of the church that maybe had run their course more, maybe at the program level or something, had you done some of that before, not necessarily at the church level, but seeing something in the life of the church that had kind of run out of steam and we were manufacturing energy for it. Had you navigated that before? That's something <laughs> that I'm sure all of us as pastors, the answer is yes. But what were you, what did you learn from those experiences? Cause it sounds like, you were doing that work, but just at kind of a church level. And I think, you know, as, as you know, in, in a church, so, so in this church with, with um, Jason, we were continually trying to figure out our worship schedule and what services really should we keep going? What should we invest in? And I had been through that a few iterations of that before Jason came, like trying to figure out what should we, you know, what should we keep going? What should we end? Where, where is the growth potential? Uh, what is sapping our energy? What is not working? So, you know, we had had a Saturday night um, contemporary service that was really limping along that had dwindled down to like 15 people. And this was before Jason came. And I just said, we have to stop this so mm -hmm. that we can figure out how to resurrect it. And, and it was the best decision that we ever made because we spent a whole summer really working with a team of people trying to figure out how should we resurrect this how yeah. you know we were committed to resurrecting it but we knew we had to stop what we were doing and and so when we resurrected it on sunday morning which was the time when our people wanted it you know our first service we had 60 people and wow. we had been dwindling down to 15 people before that so, and then of course, once Jason came, we went through many iterations of things that, that we should stop and things that, that were not life affirming anymore. It, but there were some stakeholders that wanted them to continue. Yeah. yeah. Right? So important. And I think this conversation, we need to circle back around to this one with you, Teresa. I want to hear the rest <laughs> of the Morningstar story, but you know, this is so important because in my experience and Jason, I know we've talked about these things. We, we come in as, as new leaders, maybe young leaders, or just fresh, a fresh leadership. And we see, we can see what's sapping energy. Yes. And, and maybe people are so used to a, a way a ministry has been for so long, you, you kind of forget or don't notice it in the same way as maybe a new, new person, but there's so much personally at stake and investment in it that to, to name that out loud is, is wounding and, and, and hurtful to people and all kinds of dynamics that happen in the life of the church. Cause it was started with the best of intentions, probably was a great thing at one point and now has kind of lost its steam. And so ending well is, is 
I, I wish I could say that that's always gone well, but it hasn't. And I think sometimes in churches, we leave people wounded unnecessarily because we're not willing or able to do the work that you're, you're doing and, and having that journey where you, you take people along, along the way and help them see that it needs to give way to something else, that if it dies, something new can emerge. Uh, and, and so I, I think that's a growth edge for a lot of leaders is to, to know how to end things well. We know they need to end, but the ending well part is, is tricky. Yeah. And, you know, even just looping back to the contemporary service, I was just telling Teresa that, you know, so that Saturday service had gone down to 15. And last week we celebrated the highest we've ever had on a non-holiday day. We had 365. <laughs> and we wouldn't have gotten that had we limped yeah, along with the 15 on right. a Saturday night. I, I mean, new life, big time from those decisions. Yeah. There's a domino effect of all those decisions. Right. And we know that we, we see this in all kinds of other areas, it, just in our own garden, you trim a plant way back and then fresh growth happens. And we know all these images from scripture about pruning <laughs> right. and all these things, but to actually do it in the dynamic, yeah, not when it's us, not when it's a real community. And, uh, and I think that's it really is challenging, but uh, so important if we're going to have um, the future that God wants for us and not just to keep doing the same stuff just because that's what we've done. So anyway, that was a little a little sidebar, but I think that's it, it's important, not just when a church is coming maybe towards its end as a congregation, but right, for the various right. things we're doing too, I think it's really yeah. crucial work. So, so how did, um, you know, back to, back to Morningstar, the consensus is that, it, that it's ended well. And I believe so. Yeah. To and, God be the glory. I do believe so. And I mean, what, what do you think were some of the ingredients to that recipe that helped it to end well? And there's even a little bit of a story of an excitement, even just the way that it sold its building. And, yes. You know, so yes. I, maybe share a little bit so about that. So I will say, as I talk to the leaders and I talk to the people in the congregation who had invested so much there. I understood there were a few things important to them about how we would end. And so first they were trying to get their arms around the idea that we would end. And then how would it be okay with them? And there were two things that really mattered to them. And one was they wanted to honorably discharge the million dollars in debt. They, because there were many options like declare bankruptcy, default, you know, like, yeah. you know, those were all possibilities. And of course, you know, with my spreadsheet, right now, <laughs> I have my spreadsheet of the options, you know, and, and those were two of the options like declare bankruptcy, you know, default, you know, just don't pay it, walk away, you know. Um, and, and it became very clear as we wor- worked through those things, they wanted to feel that they had honored their commitments to pay this debt. So they did not want to declare bankruptcy or default. So that was important to them. And the other thing that was so important to them was that the building be sold to a church, that, that it be, that it continue. It was a a modern, a a 10 year old modern building. It could have been sold for many things, you know, a a medical center. I mean, the different things that have looked at it, you know, a a law office. I mean, it could have become many things. Um, And it was adaptable in that way. It wasn't a churchy building. Uh, So, so it had a lot of potential as a commercial real estate property. But the people's heart was that they wanted it to continue to be a church. So, so with those two things in mind, um, that's, that's when we started to look for renters, the, the one church that responded to us was a large evangelical non-denominational church that was actually looking for a satellite in the area where our church was because they already have about a hundred people that were coming from that area and they wanted to begin the satellite ministry and a live streaming message. And, and um, so, so the very first time they came, um, they, they loved the building and the location and everything. And we thought we would get them as a renter. 
And they, they didn't bat an eyelash about what we wanted for the rent. Whereas other churches were like, well, can't we have it for free? It was like, <laughs> no, you can't have it for free. Right. Okay. That's not going to work. <laughs> you know, we can't give it away. And, uh, but you know, they were fine. No, no problem. You know, but they wanted it from 930 to 1230 on Sunday morning. And they wanted to change the look and feel of it to, to suit their ministry. And so I said, well, you know, if you're going to control the time and you're going to control the look and feel, I don't think our people are going to be happy about continuing to bear this million dollar mortgage. <laughs> and, and they said, well, how about if we take over the mortgage? <laughs> so it was, it was just, you know, it's, it just was such an answer to, and I think that is something about how we end things. Like you were saying, Jesse, you know, I think it can end very badly if we are, as leaders, not really hearing from the people about what matters to them, about how it ends. And and I didn't have the same feeling as the people did about what mattered, you know. Um, so, so I think that that was key in, and then that that the Lord just kind of handed us both of those things all at once. Here was a church, a thriving church that was able to pay for it and, and wanted the location and wanted to, and honored the faithfulness of, of the people that were there. You know, you don't always get that acknowledgement of a mainline operation. <laughs> you you don't always, you know, sometimes you get like, well, of course you're dying because you don't preach the gospel, you know? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was nothing like that. It was true affirmation of the fact yeah. that, you know, our people had been faithful and given and invested and, and the pastor from the church that, that was uh, interested in buying said, said, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord answered both our prayers at once? You know, I always thought the Lord's able to take care of more than one church at a time, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's awesome, uh, Teresa. I think um, what would, you know, so again, a pastor is listening to this who might be thinking, I don't know, is, is this our church's story? Is mm. this, or, or are we a turnaround or, is God going to do something else? From your experience, you know, what are some things that you would say to that leader or to that? What would you recommend to them mm. as a way of kind of moving forward? You know, our um, situation was unique, and many pastors have said that to me, that, that more pastors have a, an old aging building yeah. that they, they don't have a big mortgage on but they can't afford to make the space into a usable space for the way that we do church now. It has the space in the wrong places, you know, and they, they can't afford to upgrade it. And, and um, so, you know, I think depending on what your context is, you know, as we, we always say, there's not a formula for any of these things. But I do think that there is a spirit of openness uh, to the possibility that God may be wanting to do something else here. And, and that it's not a disgraceful thing if that thing that God wants to do is, is end this, this iteration of the local church. And I think that was another thing that I, I tried to communicate to our people, that, that this is not the end of the church, that, that our local church is just one expression of the kingdom of God and that over the centuries that the church has existed, that thousands of local churches have come into existence and gone out of existence because the church is, is a organism that exists 
for the needs of the people. And because demographic changes happen all over the world as a result of catastrophic events, you know, or just the natural flow of people, you know, and we've saw, you know, big changes here in, in urban areas, you know, and people moving out of those areas. And how does the church respond? The church needs to move to where the people are. So I think to to be encouraged that Jesus says, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. It is not the end of the church age because my church closes. Wow, that's great. That's really insightful too. Um, man, thank you for being on. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is why, Jesse, uh, this is why Teresa and I always say we have an ongoing conversation we that's just- lasted six years. <laughs> Yeah. Um, because I, I just feel like, uh, there's so much and you have so many gifts, Teresa, to offer the church. And I think it's, we definitely, I think we definitely want to have her back on and talk about some more stuff, but <laughs> uh, Teresa, if, if, if there's a pastor out there that wants to reach out, is there a good way to reach out to you to, to find you? Oh, sure. Absolutely. My, my email address is, uh, Teresa with an H <laughs> E that's my middle name, Ellen Swenson, S W E N S O N at Gmail. Dot com. <laughs> Is that good? Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, any last thoughts there, Jesse? No, I'm just so grateful for your willingness to jump in and do that, that hard work and, and do it faithfully and humbly and all those things. So um, it's important conversation. You know, we we're talking in our, one of our upcoming episodes about, the average size of the local church is, I think, Jason, you said something like 75 or whatever it is. And so there's a lot of congregations that are kind of um, one or two decisions or staff people away from this exact situation and conversation. And so thanks for kind of leading the charge on that and being willing to jump in and go where God leads with that. So um, really grateful. I feel encouraged, even though we're talking about a a specific congregation coming to an end. You're, I think you're absolutely spot on. The mission of Jesus Christ in the world will go forward and God's committed to it. So we can trust that. So yeah. good stuff. And, and as a, and as a postscript, she didn't stay retired long after that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So she's already working for another church and, and you know, uh, and to their benefit. Absolutely. Fantastic. That to God's cool. glory. Well, thanks for taking the time, Teresa. And we look forward. We'll catch up again, I'm sure. And you can uh, tell us all the ways that Jason has messed up and, and <laughs> from him. But, uh, bonus episode. Yeah, bonus episode. <laughs> well, Jason, uh, it's clearly cheating to have had someone like <laughs> Teresa on your staff team. And I'm sure you're still riding on the momentum of what she was able to do while she was there. But, uh, you know, can't take give, give you any of the credit. But, um She's fantastic. Thanks for sharing her with us, for inviting her on. And, and when you see her again, tell her thanks for taking the time to be with us. I, I do, you know, it's a hard conversation, but I, I can honestly say I feel encouraged and hopeful. And I'm glad that there are people like Teresa out there to remind us um, that we can end well and we can honor God in each other as we do that. And that God's story, his church is going to move forward. Uh, with the mission, and he's committed to it. I think we were just reflecting, you know, that that phrase, and I'm with you to the very end of the age, is true now, it was true then, and uh, so we're part of that. And so I think, yeah, that's kind of a key takeaway for me is whether things are going well, or maybe there's something struggling, to, to remember that, that Jesus is with us, and he's, he's committed to his mission. And so um, it's a big deal. Well, this gets to the heart of what what we've been talking about for 35 episodes, right? We've been talking about reclaimed leader. What does that look like? It's it's a leader that gets the past and uses it as a tool to leave the past behind in some ways. You know, uses that as, as a tool to move forward, not forgetting who you are. You're not losing your roots, but but you're changing uh, how you're going forward, and that really takes what I saw saw and heard in Teresa's that takes um, the ability to set aside your ego. And, and I got to just be straight. I don't know if that ha- if I have that in me, it would really have to be the Lord doing that for me to give up or to feel like it's time for this church to close because I don't, I just don't know that my ego would allow that. And that's a horrible thing to say, but I just think that's the truth. And I wonder if there are a lot of pastors out there who would just be like, 
I don't know if I could ever bring myself to say that. Well, maybe, maybe Teresa's story can help if that's what God wants. That's right. Yeah. And I think there's something in us that maybe it's the competitive part or the part that doesn't want to fail or quote unquote fail um, that causes us to be stubborn and hold on to something too long. Um, And I think it can happen at the church level, but also just at the idea level, the program level or the strategy level. We came up with the thought and we like it and we've been trying it and it's not working. There's an ego hit that happens when we say it's just not working. Yeah. How do we, how do we end it and try something else? And I thought I was, I think the part that hit me the hardest in, in, in a good way was when she said, um, when something dies, we can re- resurrect it. I mean, that's who God is. He yeah. takes dead things and brings them back to life. And so, uh, you know, I, that, that alone, if that's all you heard from this episode is, uh, is that God takes things that are dead and brings them back to life in ways maybe we couldn't even think about or imagine before. Um, that's worthless. That was worth the lesson. So um, it was encouraging for sure. Yeah. And uh, well, as we're wrapping up this episode, just a reminder, you can always reach uh, Jesse and I. You can find us on our website, reclaimedleader.com. You could find out uh, more about our stories. You can find our contact information. You could also find the show notes for each episode. So as a reminder, if you want to look back and just kind of see the summary of each episode, uh, you would go to reclaimleader.com forward slash episode, in, in this instance, episode 35. And uh, you could do that for all of our episodes and get any of the the tools or links that we post up there. But that's where it all lives. It all lives on our website, reclaimleader.com. And uh, and also, you know, share a rating. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, um, make sure you give us a rating, give us some feedback. It also helps us in our ranks so that we, our podcast can be found. I love that we're we're just talking about how happy we are that that we made it to 35 episodes. I don't know what our expectations were, but it's just been uh it's been really great. It's really great talking shop every week. It's made me a better pastor um just taking this time and and talking. For sure. And I've I've enjoyed just to get even if it's just us listening back to ourselves just <laughs> at right. some point. Talk about know, ego. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Um but to be <laughs> part of a conversation with someone else who's on the East Coast, well, I'm on the West Coast, but we're in, involved in the same work, part of the same team in the big picture. And so I, I've enjoyed it too. And I, it's been important to help me kind of think through things and kind of go, wow, this is, we need to get better here. And this seems to be going well. And so hopefully you're part of a conversation like that out there with, with some friends or colleagues in ministry. And um, anyway, just glad that we can be part of the journey together. So Jason, we'll see you in the next time for episode 36 and we'll just keep on going. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 